Welcome back to Speak Like a CEO, where it is my job to discuss and dissect how the world's top CEOs communicate. My guest today is Caroline Troll. She's the impressive young founder and CEO of No Cosmetics, an innovative and disruptive clean beauty brand that is taking the retail world by storm. In her very first podcast interview in English, we go deep on her social media strategy, especially Instagram and TikTok, which No Cosmetics use for community building, market research, and even the co-creation of new products. Caroline shares why No Cosmetics breaks the rules of branding and marketing, how she communicates with her co-founders, her sister and her parents, and what it takes to be successful in a tough retail environment. She also tells us why they're closed on Black Friday, why she doesn't believe in influencer marketing, and why she has a behind-the-scenes channel on Instagram that is both genius marketing and next-gen CEO communications. Enjoy the episode. Caroline, welcome to Speak Like a CEO. Thank you so much. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. So I love your brand. We have it at home. It's in the bathroom, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because it's um, you obviously have a strong marketing background and branding background, but also I love to invite CEOs and founders of companies that I personally use because to me, this is always very interesting to find out what's behind the brand, who's behind the brand. And what I love about No Cosmetics is that you break one of the fundamental rules of branding, which is... Mm, Don't go negative, be positive. How come? That's such a funny story because when I was studying marketing management uh, in school, like, I don't know, five years ago or something, because I started no in my first semester of uh, studying and everyone said people have enough negative stuff in their lives. Whereas like the news and like everything is so negative. So they want awesome stuff happening when they buy something when they consume something in advertisement and i guess that was like my lucky point that a simple word that everyone uses 30 times a day probably like no was still available so i guess that was like the best part that could have happened to me um although i know i uh, had several people tell me that that's like like nothing you do on a regular basis like everyone says just say yes um, yes, I don't know. It's just, it just happened to us. It just came to us because we wanted to do is like no cosmetics that you don't need it, that you can, but like no social pressure and everything and evaluated our no claims that we built the brand on. Um, so I guess that was like my lucky thing to happen yeah. that is like not common. I mean, simple is often very powerful. And of course, counterintuitive and breaking rules is, um, is can be extremely powerful in branding as well. And I like it mm -hmm. that sort of the whole brand is built on the concept of breaking rules. Um, when I think about other companies that do that, I mean, Netflix, for instance, says no rules, mm -hmm. rules, but you say we take the rules, break them and build a brand around it. So that's that I found fascinating. But what do you say no to? I think that's important to highlight. Um, we have like different no claims. We say no to fillers, for example, like um, like different ingredients that we don't want to use. We don't have any like silicones, packs and stuff like that because we're clean beauty. And then um, also we have like we don't use any like regular commercial models in our communication. Everyone that you see online until now, are friends and family or community members. So that's like something, for example, that we do or just like, as I said in the beginning, we try to like work against social pressure, like makeup should be fun, makeup should like be like great and just like for like, yeah, to feel yourself like a nice bold red lipstick is great, but you should like go to the bakery to get like uh, something in the grocery store without having to wear makeup. So uh, that's why we say no to social pressure. 
Interesting. So it's 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 basically clean makeup, clean beauty mm -hmm. products, um, but for a certain lifestyle that it's mm -hmm. it's a it's a feel good, not I have to do this. And you say no to additives, you say no to animal testing, I believe. Mm -hmm. You also said no to Black Friday, which is quite unusual <laughs> for many companies. That's you know biggest uh, revenue day of the year. Yes, yes, that was like a thing to discuss. I don't know. I just, I mean. I totally get the whole Black Friday thing. I totally get it. I also get that it's a good way to like already buy some Christmas presents or whatever to like use it for um, like things that you wanted to have for months and now you can get it. But just our margins and everything, how we build our brand, we can't like it's simply not possible to, to compete with like 40% off, 50% off and another free gift and this and that. So that's why we like, I think three years ago, we did that we like donated stuff. Like we had a few like discounts, but we donated it because I didn't feel comfortable with like saving money for the others and like putting like the other, like, like the rest of the money, like towards uh, my um, company. And then the last year, it was the first time that we completely closed our online shop and our flagship store. And this year we did it again, just because it you didn't feel it, right. So yes, for a whole day. That, that, that is, okay, I didn't realize, I thought you, you would donate the proceeds or something, but you actually closed your online shop. No, yeah. Wow, and you closed the physical mm -hmm. store. And the store. Okay, that's a... That's quite a drastic move. I haven't... It was a free day off <laughs> for like the people working. They were really thankful. They were like, oh, nice. Thank you, Caroline. <laughs> Having a day off. <laughs> I like that. I mean, that is such a, um, you know, that's a, such a rule bend. Uh, I love it. And um, you already alluded to the fact that you, you studied marketing. So your background is in, in marketing and branding, which obviously comes through everything you do. And I find it quite interesting that um, in order to build a big successful company that is present in all the retail outlets, you don't have to sort of cover everything, right? Yours is a joint venture and a family company at the same time. Mm -hmm. So could you speak to the whole setup, which I think is really interesting and it shows that, you know, you, you can be good at one thing and maybe enough to build a great company. Yes. Uh, so Noah's a joint venture, uh, be, uh, like between two family businesses, to be uh, completely mm -hmm. um, honest. If you would think that one can be a catastrophe, then uh, you have like merged with another <laughs> one. Um, our manufacturer is a complete like development, like developer and everything. They are at the Dutch border. So it's like, um, like a 45 minute drive from Cologne, kind of like that. And um, they are in the second generation, like his father founded the company and I founded our company with my dad. And then we uh, built the joint venture just to like, I mean, we didn't have the resources. We didn't have like investors or like the money to like build such a company that we wanted to do, but we had the ideas. And Robert, who is the uh, joint venture partner, he had the like complete physical power. Like he had the machines and the development and the people, but he didn't have the ideas. So that's why we like, collaborated and it's working really really great so far we like we respect each other and it's working very well although like i'm of course like way younger than robert is but still um we had a really lucky shot with that so i'm that, yeah that's amazing. i'm really happy about that and what role does your your family members play um well we have four of us my dad my mom my sister and me 
And my sister just graduated her bachelor's. She's now in full time our creative director. That means that everything you see, like the products, the stickers, the flyers, like everything essentially um, that you see like at our store or online or anything is from her and her team. And my mom is doing the online shop. So she has a team where they completely pack everything that you order online themselves. So there's like no fulfillment center. And my dad is still like, yeah, looking after the finances and sales part, but not completely like in it anymore. But he's like helping us and just, um, yeah, he's there if we need him. And it's like giving us a little few tips and everything because there's, I mean, I studied, I studied marketing, as you uh, just said. So, of course, like the sales part and the finance part, it's kind of learning by doing at some point. Sometimes sales feels like it's playing poker and like, like a, yeah, <laughs> like something. OK, I think we will do that, but I, I can't have any like marketing is really based on numbers. Like marketing is for me, like in my head, really easy because I have like an ROI and I can like simply say, okay, this ad will go on further because I can see that the numbers are great. In sales, it doesn't happen like that because sales is like so confusing and so like, it's just like a person in a Rossmann or in a DM standing in front of the product and then like choosing it or not choosing it. And if she doesn't or he doesn't choose it, I don't know why. Like, was it because there was like someone disturbing or a call getting in or no money or whatever. So it's way more confusing. And that's why we, I still need him to like give us tips and everything. Yeah. Great. Uh, uh, let's go deeper in a second on sales and, and mm -hmm. retail, which is fascinating in itself. But about, about the family aspect. So... I think the great thing about family business is you start from a relationship of trust. You yes. know each other, you trust each other. But the downside could be, I imagine, that um, you know there's so much history and you may trigger each other and there are obviously blind spots. Um, so how do you deal with that? And has that ever led to any sort of friction? And, and how would one deal with it for others who think or maybe are already working with siblings or parents? Um, to not be cheesy, but I think that like working with my family has been the best decision that all four of us have ever made, mm -hmm. just simply because they are no longer only my parents and she's no longer only my sister, but she's also my work bestie. I can trust her with like 150% of my complete like doing and I can just like call her and be angry about something and I know she would never like... um yeah take it like in a bad way or something she just knows that like she knows who i'm talking about what i'm talking about and is still like in her own bubble because that's i think like next to trust as you said respect is like the most most important thing that we have like we respect each other and also um like i explained we have four different parts that every like each of us has their own part and nobody would like tell the other person like hey can you do that in a different way or like um sometimes when my sister like does a cosmopolitan like advertisement i'm like hmm can you like turn that and she's just looking at me like no <laughs> I'm like, okay then not i just like wanted to help but um that's like the main part we respect each other we try to have like communication rules we um for example if it's like on the weekend or something my mom often works on saturdays and i usually don't because i travel so much that the saturdays are like my my day off and um 
when she calls me and is like, hey, I have a work topic, does that work for you now? If I'm at home, of course it works. If I'm right now in the grocery store, no, please don't. And that's like how we do it. We also have different phones and we have like different work groups, like uh, like WhatsApp groups, for example. And in like the work family group, where like the work things happen and in the private family group where like the pictures of the dogs coming in. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of them. <laughs> That's amazing. So just, you know, to, to get that straight in my head. Um, so respect boundaries. So this is your area of expertise. Mm -hmm. That's my area of expertise. Offer help, but not uh, sort of butt in and say, you know, I know better. Um, then having clear rules about how you communicate, I guess, in the family, but in the business in general and have different channels of communication. So one for the family and dog pictures or one for work-related stuff. That, that All of that mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. And uh, I, I can see how that applies to family business and, and other businesses as well, of course. So your dad has a background in retail and obviously getting into retail is bloody hard. And at the moment you're in the German-speaking countries, um, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and you're looking to expand, I'm sure, over the over the coming years. But let's let's sort of rewind because if I go into one of the drugstores and one of the chain stores, I, I don't have the feeling that we need more cosmetics brands. So what triggered you or what motivated you to add to the mix? Yeah, I know that's also kind of unusual because most of the times like startups, they like analyze the market and then they find the niche, like that one product that wasn't there before and that like solves a problem. Like that's like the typical, I guess, standard, like, like standard case. Right. Um, yeah. The thing is, like my dad, um, I used to grow up with him being in the cosmetics industry always. He started in uh, like sales, like just like uh, at L'Oreal, like driving around with his car in Munich and uh, trying to sell uh, like shampoo to Edeka and stuff uh, from his uh, like car. <laughs> so the big, the big so, retailers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fun times. <laughs> and um, then he um, moved into marketing and that's why we moved to Düsseldorf. And because uh, L'Oreal was in, or is still, I think, in Düsseldorf. And then um, he, afterwards, he like went into different companies. He did like decorative, like, uh, like uh, makeup and stuff. I think I'm one of the few girls that had their dad explain how like mascara and everything works and trying to not poke your eye out. <laughs> and um, yes, yeah, so that's like how like how he like managed to be in the different companies. And he did also like something with nail care and everything. So he knows like all of the different businesses and also the different like um, channels that you can sell them, like the distribution uh, things. And then when I grew up, when we were at, for example, uh, DM or Rossmann, I always said, oh, I want this, I want that. And he said, well, that's like trash. Then you can also throw your money into the bin if you want to and everything. And I was like, well, what can I buy? Because I don't have the budget to buy something that was on the market, but good. And six years ago, or maybe like eight years ago, because Noah's six now, the market looked different. There were many products in the drugstore because I'm a, I'm a drugstore child. Like I've never been a like fragrance perfumery <laughs> girl i've always been a drugstore girl i just love to be there and also buy my makeup there and everything and uh yes there were many products but all of them or mostly all of them stated for each like like for every skin type um and like they didn't have like actives and everything in them they were really like 
like not harmful, but not innovative. And that's what we were trying to like bring into the drugstores. And I think, or I mean, if you look at the drugstores now, we are not the only ones that did something, but definitely the drugstore like sortiment, like the range looks different now than it did six years ago. And I think we did like a tiny bit of that uh, journey were like was because of us. So I'm yeah. really grateful that like there are now several companies that do that. Like the like the actives and the price tag and everything. Everything got better in the last six years. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a movement in the market. But what was your pitch to these drugstore chains? I know they have tough procurement people who look very closely at okay, can we sell this on Mars at a decent price point, etc. So what what was the pitch to them? The pitch was um, we wanted to do clean cosmetics because clean was completely new to them at that point when we told them like we don't want silicones, packs, whatever, what you said, animal testing to be um, sustainable and to change something in uh, the world because people will consume either way. So we wanted to do like something that is hopefully a little bit better. Um, they were really on fire. And we were like pitching and we're like, yeah, we want to do that. We want to do that. That's our vision. Also with diversity, because diversity also for like six years, like six years ago, diversity was also a joke. And um, <laughs> then they said, yeah, it's that's so great. And we went out of uh, um, like office and we're like, oh, my God, we will be in the drugstores. That's so great. And then, yeah, of course, it wasn't that easy. Like mm -hmm. we, uh, we thought it's so easy. But then we uh, got several like opportunities we were able to visit a fair where we like were trying to like see how the brand could work in uh, the drugstore just because at that time like six years ago the like influencer and content creator companies were way bigger like the brands of them like they that were the times when People were running into um, the like the drugstores because of a certain shampoo or a certain thing that an influencer showed, and we had nothing. We had no influencer. We had no like social media community. We had nothing. So that's why I'm I totally get that they wanted us to try it out first, and then afterwards, uh, like we had one limited like uh, month where we were able to like try it out and afterwards we were in. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, it's, it's hard to get into retail, but staying in retail is even harder, right? And mm -hmm. let, let's talk about that. So what drives the buying decision of someone who's in, you know, just looking at a shelf and picking a product rather than another product? Oh, I would be really glad <laughs> if I would know if only we'd the know, complete right? answer. <laughs> um, well, your, best, I, your, your working hypothesis. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think like the thing is if you buy it like the store that you're buying it in also is really crucial for how your product w should look like because we started with something very minimalistic like very white with just a few color accents and then we were in the drugstores and we kept on looking for two minutes at the freaking shelf and we're like hmm. I know it has to be in here why can't I find it? 
that's like that can't be and then we tried to like build onto that we um started with like something like that was on top like a card that you that had a heart on it that you can like slide into the product so that you can see it better and then we switched to our full rainbow that we have now and remove the cards again um just because the lighting in drugstores is different than in for example a concept store or something in oh. a concept store if it's minimalistic it looks great because it will look great in your bathroom but in a drugstore you won't notice it because everything is white and the light is white and when uh. you like we knew that the product was there and couldn't even find it on the shelf yeah i thought about that that is so interesting there's it's all about the context and i'm sure it's been a journey and you you've learned quite a lot and um in terms of presenting and i'm sure the brand name helps as well because it's just mm -hmm. different from all the other things i think the the only other no is probably the anti-aging shelf mm -hmm. which i'm glad is now moving to a more pro-aging approach because mm -hmm. i think they they're also getting the message that people want something else and aging is actually a good thing um but maybe want you know uh, want to do it uh, with good skin so um, obviously, the buying decision comes at the end. If we deconstruct that, there's obviously the part about the, you know, knowing about the brand, liking the brand, becoming loyal, etc. Which uh, obviously for you, um, you're fantastic on social media. So let's talk about that. Instagram is your main channel. Is that, is that correct? Is that fair? Yes. Or uh, any mm -hmm. other channels you, you're big on, you're using? Uh, we have TikTok. We just started this year, but I think we're at 45K. So TikTok was really good for us. I think they still support small brands. So mm -hmm. it's definitely worth a try if you like don't have it yet. But uh, still, Instagram is the biggest one, yes. Yeah, interesting. And you have, you have not just one channel, you have two channels, right? Which I found fascinating that there's the brand channel and there's sort of behind the scenes. So how did that mm -hmm. come about? Um, well, when we were still at the beginning, I was the one doing social media. Like I did like cut open a pineapple and try to like take a photo of it and everything. And I was answering everything. I was like taking the people with me, like on my journey. And then we got bigger and bigger. And my um, task field also, of course, got broader. And I didn't have time for it anymore. So there like was a team that like built itself. And um, now we have a complete social team. And at some point, I think like one and a half years ago, was it, I noticed that the part, like the direct communication with the community uh, was missing just for me personally because I was like sitting on the couch on a Tuesday evening just answering like the direct messages of a no cosmetics account and like writing yours Caroline underneath it because I wanted like the personal communication and then I noticed I think the people just think I write yours Caroline because it sounds better and they don't think it's definitely like it's me mm -hmm. and then we thought about the behind no cosmetics and behind no cosmetics is my own account like everything that is happening on there is like what i post and it's um it's really fun because i um like i give them sneak peeks i let them decide like which color they want or i show them what i'm working on and um yeah it's only small it's like five thousand followers but it's like it's like the groupies of no it's like the ones <laughs> that are like really really into it and the it's loyalists. so much fun yeah, that's really interesting because a lot of companies, especially young companies, struggle a little bit with the idea, okay, uh, how do we position the founder and how do we position the brand? And ideally, 
you want the brand and the founder to be a little separate, at least a few years into that journey. At the beginning, it makes a lot of sense that the founder takes a takes the front seat. But um, I, I think you found a really elegant solution here that there's the standalone brand account for those who are interested in the product side. And then there's sort of, as you said, the, the sort of loyalists, the hardcore fans who want to know what's going on behind the scenes because they're really buying into the brand and, and feel connected. I, I love that. And there's also a co-creation aspect to your mm -hmm. social media, right? Um, yes, we, we are like, um, like for the complete like social media thing, like the marketing, we do like sometimes like influencer corporations, but the only like a large corporation that we did until now was with X skincare. Um, he is actually not an influencer. He's a developer, like a skincare developer and that's his job, but he like does um, like the Instagram part like, for like fun. And uh, yes, until now, we developed four products together, four liquids, and they were like, uh, really, I'm very proud of it, immense success. Like the first one three years ago, the liquid hydrator, it was crazy. Like there were people just, there were drugstores simply putting the like cartons on the ground in the stores could they would be gone in half an hour anyway they just ripped it open and everyone like took took like nine of them and ran to the cashier it was it was insane and it's actually like still a bestseller and it's a great product anyway so what i'm really do? glad Sorry. that it, i'm not aware of the product what does it what does it do um it's a liquid like um you simply shake it and then you put it in the palm of your hand it's like Uh, it's like it feels like water or it looks like water, but it actually is with panthenol and everything like liquid, but like a serum, really, really great for the skin barrier, great for hydration. And you can like use it before, like after cleansing, before like the cream and everything for everything. Like I use it on like on my scalp. I use it on my back. I use it on my dog because she has like really ir irritated skin. So I use it like every few months on my dog. And uh, yes, it's a complete game changer. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and do you ask the community what kind of products you should develop next? Yes, definitely. Like we try to, like we have, I guess it's like two different, like, um, like an internal and an external group of people helping us with decisions. Like the internal ones are like our coworkers and everything who like try to like look after like fragrances and everything. And then we use our community because I mean, those are the people that will buy it in the end. And I loads of times I get asked like, yeah, but what if you get copied then? Well, if it's <laughs> on the market, it can be copied anyway. It's ha right. it happened to us several times. So it's, it doesn't matter. Like, Everyone is co being copied and it doesn't hurt or anything. It, when it's happening for the first time, I was also like shook that it actually happened. But I guess like if you have like the really large, like great companies, like, I don't know, Chanel or whatever, I don't think they care about like being uh, copied. And that's why like we just thought, okay, it's great if we're being copied. That means we're doing the right thing. That means right. we're changing the market. And uh, yes, so now we try to take the people like into our considerations. We um, like ask them which color they want, which I don't know, product they want next. Um, and we also like we only not only do it in our stories, but also they send us like direct messages and we always screenshot them and send them to the product team. Interesting. And and how does your approach differ from, you know, a Procter Gamble or L'Oreal? Do they also ask the community? 
about that what the next product should be and what, what people expect from it or do they just develop it in-house and then drop it into the market um i don't completely know i probably they have like internal like programs and everything but i guess they have completely different um like periods of time that they're working on a product like our period of time is way smaller than like working on a product until it's out because if you like know for three years what you will launch then you can't ask for people because they won't know anymore that they mm -hmm. like voted for a color or something so of course you have to like take them into consideration and just educate them that it's not that easy it's not that like i just got a tattoo last week and um then they asked me like i show them like hey that's from the lab and then they say well when will, will the product come and i'm like hmm in four months i guess and they're like oh, okay nice that's that's good just like they get to like know that it's like it's it won't be there in a in a like second it will take a few months if i still have it from the lab then we still need to do like testing order everything and i think if that's like in the heads of people like the big players could also do it because it's like so much fun people want to like be involved they want to decide and they are so proud when you launch it and they text you like oh my god you launched what was my idea and of course like they were like 100 people that had the idea but yeah. it was their idea as well yeah. and they tell it another few hundred people for sure and you know those yeah. are the ones that will be your, your first customers that's so interesting it seems like you really exploiting the fact that you're small and agile and you have a community and um you know there, there was a disadvantage to being smaller than companies that have been around for decades and and dominate the market but be a plucky upstart um which was your you know your your pedigree a few years ago now you obviously outgrown that but you still seem to keep that close relationship with the community the co-creation aspect the quick turnarounds okay we can develop a product in months not in years and that, that is fantastic so once you're ready to launch how, how do you go go about a product launch these days i guess it's very hard for people to believe that although like we are in 4400 doors or something and of course our revenue like right now is like our turnover is really really great um we are still not that many people we are 55 i think right now and um like the, the usual like case is that people who have a startup that is growing first of all hire people and we like did everything before we hired and um that's why i guess there are like so many people now that do really like focusing like on their job like our sales director our head of product and they are like really really into it it's their baby as well and not only mine and that's why i guess it's like continuing to be like that um when we do a launch we still i'm I'm actually afraid to say that, but we still don't use like any market research or something. We really like trust our gut. We have like brainstorming sessions. We simply have like ideas. I like uh, last year we uh, launched our like a birthday edition of our uh, pink cream. And with that, I said, oh my God, I want like birthday cake. I want sprinkles. And everyone was like, why? We have never had sprinkles. And I was like, yes, but I want like, I want a birthday cake. I want sprinkles and like fun and like a party and and then my head of product was like, okay, well, what if we collect all of the like workers' signatures 
and we put them into the box and it will be a huge surprise for them. And we were like, oh my God, that's the best idea ever. And then we like, we collected the signatures and they were like, what am I buying? A washing machine? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. And uh, then we surprised all of them like in a call. It was so hard to like be secret about it and like not have like anyone look into the box until then. But then we uh, like made a call and like completely like, gave everyone um, the like product and they opened it and they were so happy that their name was on it. And that's like, that's nothing that market like like research could tell you it's just like your like idea your gut you know your people and you do what like will like make them have fun and maybe like make them tear up and that's like what's like the best part of it and then it's like selling i guess like more easily for us just because people like our consumers they probably feel that we're like I mean, some some probably open it and were like, what are the names? I don't get it. But those who got it, they were like really on fire, even though they don't know any of the people. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that's so fun. And uh, it's just sometimes you just do these things and they sound weird, but uh, they just work because they're so quirky. Um, you, you, you just said something interesting. Um, you said, oh, we don't do market research. Yet mm -hmm. you spoke last year on stage at the OMR conference, which is a massive marketing conference in Germany every year. And your talk was about, we use the community for market research. So could you speak to that? So how do you use the community for market research? Yes, um, I was talking, yes, oh, yeah, you're, you're right. <laughs> I was just like, I meant with market research, like the classical way. The classic, like the, where you pay someone a lot of money, so they yeah. talk to a lot of people. And I think for the big companies, they have not, they're so detached often from their own consumers that what else can they do to find out what people think, right? They're not really in touch with their own consumers anymore because they're, just so many layers between the decision makers and the people on the front mm -hmm. line. And, and I think that's, that's why they do it. But yeah, talk to us about how you do it. That's like the like hard way, probably like if great, like, like bigger companies would actually have like the like tiniest people, like, like the trade or something, just ask them, like, how do you like the product? Then like, I was talking at OMR about everyone knows like a product, something, you buy it and then you think, what the hell, has never anyone like tried it out, opened it, tried the packaging, the like smelled like the product or something, like everyone knows these moments where you like buy something and then you open it or you have it at home and then you think like, did nobody try that? That's like horrible or it's like really complicated to open or whatever. And that's what we're trying to do differently. We're trying to have everyone decide like um, which color do you think you like? Or we have, for example, like um, a few weeks ago, we tried to um, decide for a fragrance for our summer limited editions. Like we wanted to do um, a shower gel and a hand cream. And then we simply like we just put like all of the fragrances on the table. And then we have like a, like a just pen and you simply like mark whichever you like. And then we just simply see, okay, this one is definitely like the most I don't know, like fun or fruity or whatever. And that's then simply the one that will like be the next flavor just because I can't decide because I don't know what like the regular person would want to have their shower gel smell like. Yeah. Uh, you need an engaged audience though, right? You need that yes. community because other, yes. if, you, if you don't have an engaged community and you ask them, they will probably ignore it because, well, you know, why would I spend time doing this, right? It's irrational in a way. So you need to have that emotional payback as, as a consumer and that 
you know, all that goodwill and brand equity you've built over time that, you know, can then sort of cash in a little bit and people actually um, find it useful and reward you for it. So that's that's an interesting dynamic. But I think that's another reason why big companies often can't do it, because if they do it, all they get is complaints. So in a way, they have to pay people to talk to them about future products. Yeah, but it's it's like the thing is, I don't know if you have all, you have also like noticed that on social media, but there are sometimes like great, like great brands, but they are really huge. And they have, for example, something like they did a mistake. Mm-hmm. And then I'm the one, like I'm the creepy stalker, like going like every two days on their like platforms to see if they will like talk about it. Just like the people are like their comments and comments of people saying, just talk to us. Like we want to feel heard. That's the only thing that we want. We want to like be acknowledged that we saw it. And if you made a mistake, it's fine, but just talk to us. And they're like people commenting and commenting and they just simply like ignore it. And I'm like, all every two days I'm looking at like the Instagram channel. I'm thinking like, why you see them? Why don't you just answer? And like, you know, I think that's like a, that's like a mechanism. That's how things work. Like if you ask and people know that you will use their answers, then they will answer you. But if you, for example, like don't react to their messages and everything, then why should I like vote? Because I mean, you're not like answering even my like comment, then of course you won't like notice if I want to have it pink or red. Yeah. And now you want me to help you with your market research. Exactly. So here's my take why that happens. So I think that there are two aspects. One is that the social media managers are not empowered in big corporations. They're only empowered to basically push things out that have been pre-approved. So in a way, it's a very boring job because they can never engage with the community. Um, They don't have the power and sometimes they don't have the training in order to do that. And secondly, there's a misconception about how you deal with this at a higher level, which is um, the disregard for the fundamentals of crisis communications and issues management. So I coined this approach to crisis communications, which is the triple A's and the triple D's. So what you do is acknowledge, apologize, act. That's what you should mm-hmm. do. Acknowledge that there's a problem, apologize for it, and then act and say, this is what we're doing to prevent this from happening again. And then there's DDD, deny, deflect, diminish, which is, you know, diminish the problem. You deny it exists by ignoring it probably or deflect it onto someone else. Oh, it wasn't our fault. It was someone else's fault. So this is, if if in a situation, all you need to know is you need to do the three A's and you should avoid the three D's, yet big companies often mix it up and um, through ignorance and lack of empowerment and people who could, you know, act upon the three A's. That's where things go wrong in big companies. And we see this time and time again when we work with them in our trainings and crisis communications workshops, etc. There's partly education and there's partly empowerment. So you need both of these. And that's what often left. So you're in the fortunate position that um, you, you do engage and you made it a big pillar of your brand to be engaged with the community. And I, I love that. I respect that. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's interesting that it is a win-win because as a consumer, and someone who likes your brand, I get what I want, right? I get the products I crave, and you produce things that they actually buy us for. So in a way, it's 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 win-win. Mm-hmm. Caroline, what's what's next for you? Uh, I'm curious. So it's the beginning of 2024. At the moment, you're mostly Germany, Switzerland, Austria. Uh, what what's next for you? Um, the largest thing that is like happening this year for me right now because it's the only thing that is like completely like um yeah fixed is that uh since january we have um a lease on a store in cologne uh so uh, we're renovating now and i will be really happy when i know when we will open and that's like one of the like yeah absolute like 
already highlights of my year just because we have a second store and where we can do like events and uh, talk directly to the ones that are like in the community that we usually only see like behind usernames or numbers from the drugstores. Um, yes, and then... I don't know, we're working on different things. As I already spilled the tea, we're working on a tattoo aftercare just because I have a lot of tattoos and my family has and uh, we wanted to, like we have our own aftercare already for a few years and we wanted to like have everyone uh, be able to get it. So this uh, is like the things that will happen like in the first half of our year. And then hopefully it will be uh, possible to expand to different countries. We are currently like this year, it's starting to we like build a new complete like development center and like like more space for the machines and everything to have like more products because right now we are sometimes uh, sold out although we're like complete like doing everything that we can um to uh, like produce more which is of course a like luxury problem but still we uh, want to evolve that and then when we have enough products i hope we will develop like to uh yeah enter new markets interesting that uh, that you talk about the store uh, how important is it that your physical stores i like if you would for example do marketing and everything the traditional way i guess then you would simply like be like okay what's the turnover and what's the rent and what's the overhead costs and now like does the store really like do something for me our store right now in berlin is like a marketing tool it's people every day walking like next like next to it even if they're just on the way to like lunch or whatever and when i stand in front of the store just for a few seconds because i'm like I don't know, doing something, I always hear people, oh my God, that's a no cosmetic store. And I'm like, yes, that's why I have this thing. Mm -hmm. To have people walk past it and say, oh my God, I didn't know no cosmetic had a store. Because I don't do it for the like for the like availability of a product. There's a Rossmann like around the corner. They can get our stuff there. It's for the exposure of the brand and for like going in like experiencing the brand the store is a complete like filled with a complete rainbow and filled with our products and uh, with great people working there who have like a really like great energy and uh, that's why I think it's like so good to uh, to do it just because you you have a different connection uh, to yeah. the brand if you feel it and not like only take it from the shelf and the drugstores and uh, go to the cashier and you really have to think about the brand vibe right because you can't mm -hmm. really do that in a drugstore as you said with a white fluorescent light but in your own store you control the environment so the brand vibe so what do i feel when i come in uh we have a huge rainbow so it's very very it's like not not subtle or something it's like in your face rainbow um <laughs> so yeah it's really like it's colorful it's very like happy our uh, store manager naomi she is like uh, just like sun on two legs uh, walking. So uh, yes, that's like what uh, I just want people to like be happy. Even if they just like go in, sometimes they have a picture on their phone saying, I bought all of like, your stuff, but I don't know what to do with it. That's fine. Come in. We will completely like talk you through it. Or we have also like, like, like sachets. You can also just take like a tester home to like to your uh, space. And that's also like, we are available almost everywhere. So I don't need you to buy something right now. I just want you to experience it and to uh, have like a higher possibility of brand loyalty. Interesting. 
That's fascinating. And if I can make a prediction, I think three years from now, no cosmetics will be huge and it will be in many, many more markets than it that you are already. And it will be it will be massive and everyone will know it. So I'm super, super happy and very privileged that you chose to give your first English speaking podcast interview on Speak Like a CEO. And that is a that's a great privilege. So thank you for that. Caroline, my last question always is, what's your best piece of communications advice, maybe for other founders who are just starting out? Um, I guess the like whole last 40 minutes or what it was, um, like you saw that transparency is key. Like, don't try to fake anything to like, I don't know, like say something that your products can or that your products like have inside of them or whatever that is like simply not like the case. Because people like at these times people are so educated they know so many things they will find out and that's like the worst thing that can happen because then they don't trust you anymore and trust is the like most important thing they um that they like trust you and that they are loyal to you and that you like answer them and everything so i think yeah the, like the only communication advice i would give is to be transparent even if sometimes it's not as shiny and great um Yeah, as it could be, but it's at least like honest and everything. Yeah. Um, yes, so I think that would be it. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Transfer transparency equals trust. I love that. That's great advice. Caroline Cole, CEO and founder of No Cosmetics. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. And I'll see you all next week when we have another wonderful guest here on Speak Like a CEO. Thank you. Goodbye.